Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach Batty, and this is Turning to Him. Thank you so much for watching this episode. I am here with Megan Miller. Megan, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thanks for asking. Good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. I'm excited. Um, before we get into it, uh, help me get to know you a little bit better. What, where are you from? What do you do in your spare time? Give me kind so, of a deployment rundown. I am from Roy, Utah. Okay. Born and raised Utah. Major Ute fan. Sorry, BYU. <laughs> uh, we just lost half the listeners. <laughs> yeah, All three of them. That- I went to school at LDS Business College. I work at Maverick Adventures First Stop, where the adventure begins. <laughs> uh, I am into health and wellness. Um, I've been a member of the church my whole entire life. And I like helping people find their joy okay. through the Savior. I love it. Um, bef- again, before we get into the meat of it, uh, tell me about health and wellness. What does that mean to you? So about, uh, almost two years ago, um, I noticed there was a problem okay. and I was having a hard time swallowing and I didn't know exactly how to go about it. I'm like, okay, it's just probably... I'm tired or there's some flu bug going around. Um, About two days before Christmas last year, I was diagnosed with a thyroid cancer. And I kind of just kind of went into a grieving cycle where I was questioning the reality of God, where I was questioning like where I was as a person, um, who I was, what my mission in life was, what my purpose is, you know, like all these, it's like how Sister Wright said in general conference, like abiding with Christ, it's like learning how to figure out exactly where you're at when you're given that diagnosis. So right now I'm undergoing cancer treatments while battling life issues and just trying to find joy in the journey while helping others try to find their own joy. Wow. Well, okay. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about your conversion story. Mm -hmm. It kind of ties in. Yeah. So I guess so, be- before we get into your conversory, back up maybe five years and tell us about yourself. So about five years ago, I wouldn't say I would be in the headspace I was in. Um, I was struggling with my activity in the church. I was struggling. Like I did go, but I didn't go for the right reason. Mm-hmm. I didn't find meaning in going to church. 
because I was just going because in Utah, it's a typical thing. It's a typical LDS family type thing where you grow up and you're expected to attend church. Um, at that time, I was serving as an ordinance worker at the time um, at the Ogden, Utah Temple. And I remember kind of just wondering, like, why I was there. Mm -hmm. What was the purpose of this calling? Because being an ordinance worker, sometimes they'll call you if they don't have enough workers. But a lot of the times it is members just serving in the temple, um, volunteering, volunteering their time. And I was called by President Froer to serve in the temple as an ordinance worker. And let's just say it's a peaceful place, but what people don't realize is that the ordinance workers get so much flack from the adversary mm. because we share in that responsibility of helping people receive their covenants in the temple. So uh, stuff started happening. I had just started a new job and I kind of just decided I didn't know what to do. Um, and working in the temple, I had a shift leader who, bless her heart, had enough patience with me, but I knew she struggled. And that's when she went to the temple presidency and they're like, She's never there here because I had to start working weekends. And my shift was like really early in the morning when I had to be down in Salt Lake because I just got promoted. So I had to make the drive. And it was like 4.30 in the morning that we had to be there because prayer meeting was at 5. Mm -hmm. And then you were there till about 1 or 2 in the afternoon because it was an eight-hour shift. Mm-hmm. And so I had that experience. Well, a couple of days later, I was at work and I get the phone call from President Ardima, one of the counselors in the temple presidency. And he was like, Sister Miller, do you have a minute that we can talk? And I was in the middle of doing books and learning my position as a assistant manager and I was like, okay, I can try to multitask me and my ADHD brain. Um, he's like, due to the circumstances that you're under, we are going to go ahead and extend to you an honorable release from being an ordinance worker. And see, at first I was like, mm, I didn't really want to be an ordinance worker. But then once you started getting in the flow and like started getting into your comfortable place and had mm -hmm. a lot of cute elderly ladies that <laughs> became like your adopted grandmas. Yes. And, um, and I was devastated. And that's when I kind of just, the faith crisis started to begin. 
things started to weave in and out. And I kind of just started questioning God, questioning my value as a daughter of God, questioning who I was, like what your purpose was, what your mission is, you know. And I remember just feeling so distraught. And so when they released me, it was about a month and a half before I moved down to Salt Lake City. I remember just, I was in the bishop's office and I was devastated. I had just started a new mid-singles ward mm -hmm. that they had created because living in Roy at the time, they um, were kind of in the back end of Weber County on the west side. Okay. And so in the church, it's like they had one for the stakes that are in the city, but the suburbs, you can choose between the two. Like half of Roy will go to one mid-singles. And, and so I just remember sitting there and going, Bishop, I pay my tithing. I go to church. I, at the time before they made the change, I did my visiting teaching. I did all those things. And yet they released me from something that I worked so hard for. Because having this, so to backtrack, I have mental health issues, right? Mm -hmm. So I have executive functioning, ADD, autism. And so I just didn't understand. And so to me, it was a slap in the face saying like, okay, you're not worthy anymore. Right, right. And so it was kind of like a slap in the face saying like, oh, you're not worthy anymore. We don't need you. God doesn't want you because, you know, when I was a kid, I thought about going on a mission, but my parents had always told me like, we suggest that you don't just because you have some health issues. And so to me, that was my mission was serving in the temple. Mm -hmm. And so basically with that, it created a lot of discomfort. Okay, so, it, I mean, it sounds like, just, just in review, to encapsulate that, you're serving in the temple, but you're, you are, at this point in your life, really kind of at a spiritual um, low point to where uh, you said you were going to church, but maybe not for the right reason. You're just kind of maybe going through the motions. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. You're serving in the temple as an ordinance worker, but you've got a lot on your plate. You've got a new promotion at your job, uh, which it sounds like is maybe the schedules are conflicting. So sometimes you're you're getting substitutes for your temple shift or you're you're not able to be there all the time all your scheduled shifts and you're trying to juggle a lot of things in your life mm -hmm. your shift coordinator recognizes that sees that you're not able to to really attend a lot of those shifts that you're scheduled for 
and uh, brings that up with the temple presidency. Temple presidency um, releases you for that. And that really kind of, you know, both perhaps the adversary acting on that as well as um, your own mental health and also kind of the, the some some past life history situations really just feels like a slap in the face. I mean, that, that kind of really starts a downward trend as far as you deciding I'm, I'm doing everything I know how to do. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I know how to do. And I still feel like, and and perhaps this is a whispering of the spirit. I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. So correct me if I'm wrong, but perhaps a whispering of the spirit of, I just got fired. I just got fired from a calling and a calling that I loved. It was hard for me, but not only a calling, but kind of my personal mission. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah. That's like to the point. That's exactly what I felt. Okay. So that's, that's the background now. How long do you stay in this real trough it took me so five years ago i would have been 32 33 i'm now 37 going on 38 so it would have taken me about nearly five years so five years and what what does your life look like during that five years i mean are you still attending church i i um, I work a lot, so I do work Sundays, but I am attending church. Um, this is during that. Okay. So this is during that period during that, yeah. that low period. So you're still attending church, but you're bouncing around to different wards. Bouncing around to different wards, but it, there came a point, um, where I went inactive. I just mm-hmm. stopped going. I stopped paying my tithing. I started smoking. I started like I even kissed a girl that I thought I had feelings for. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, kept breaking the Sabbath day. Didn't stay for all hours. Like, I couldn't answer yes, honestly, to any of the questions yeah. uh, that the temple recommend because now they are so on point and so much more like reflective of who you are inside. Yeah. And, and so I kind of just fell inactive. Um, it took about in 2018 later on that year um my bishop had called me in prior to his release and i remember getting asked to serve as a a fancy term now for ward librarian okay resource center worker I think so. Yes. yes. I don't know why they keep creating fancy titles for something. <laughs> well, because there aren't a lot of books in there anymore. <laughs> it's all electronic. That's right. 
Anyways, and so I remember feeling distraught because that's not the calling I wanted. Okay. Because the calling I wanted was to be back at the temple and being an ordinance worker and having that closer connection to my savior and watching people heal broken families come and become mended in the temple and first time you know bride and grooms coming to get married to have that ceiling put on them um people coming to endowment it meant something to me then because i saw a lot of positive changes in people so even and through so so, so even through all this, you maintained a testimony of the temple and a testimony of the of the gospel. Is that true? Yeah, it is. But even when we have a testimony of the gospel and of the temple, doesn't mean that it's safeguarded unless we continually, what's the word for it, nourish it. It's kind of like in primary when you talk about or you sing that song that's like faith is like a little seed. It planted, it will grow. Faith without works is dead. If you don't put in the motion, your testimony is nothing. Yeah. It's like if you stop going to the temple, it's kind of like how I learned it this way. I learned that if you view sacrament meeting, like it's a football game, right? So when you go and you approach the bench, that sacred altar that we have in the temple, and you see the body of Christ, right? And you see the priest kneeling at the at the altar, mm -hmm. respectfully and reverently. It's like you're putting on the armor of God. And so you promise to take his name. But then you receive his name in the temple. So there was a big disconnect during that time after, like, I don't want to be a resource worker. Oh, heck, I've read every book, a desert book. I've listened to every CD. Heck, I spent way too much money back in the day at desert book. <laughs> um, and it was kind of funny because I was just like, yeah, no, I would rather sit in Relay Society and Sunday school back when we had the three-hour block. Mm -hmm. And I would rather listen to them than sit and be bored flipping through 1979 Friend, 1980 New Era, 2000 Ensign, and whatever else that's there that's, like, archaic. Um. But that's the lesson I learned during that time is no matter what calling you receive as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, even the smallest calling that you get, you're building the kingdom. You're saving one soul at a time. Megan, say that again because I feel like we can't hear that enough. Okay. So I'm going to try to remember what I said. Because I think that was the spirit trying to work through me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So no matter the size and magnitude of the calling that we get extended by our bishop, stake president, general authority, area authority 70, we're building the kingdom. We're saving one soul at a time. We're building the kingdom. Every soul matters when you go to church. Like, if you go to church for social reasons, you're not going to get much out of church, to be quite honest. Other than you're seeing the Joneses who got a new boat, or you're seeing a family that just got home from Greece on vacation, or you're seeing the family who's on Channel 6 News because something happened in their family, right? Mm-hmm. Every soul matters in the sight of God. Inactive and active. That's why right now the church is focusing on retention. Because we've lost members, but we're also gaining members. And it should matter if we don't see someone we know and we care and we love, you know, at church. Because it's looking like this. Imagine that you're the Savior's hands in ministering, right? Remember when President Nelson said, you are the Savior's hands. Mm -hmm. You are asked to live a most holier and noble way of living to reach out and touch somebody's life. Right? Yeah. Imagine if you were someone who just said, well, I'm way too overwhelmed or I'm too busy or I don't have time for it. Or, or that calling beneath me. But that's when, if you look at it from the Savior's perspective, is that the minute you do that, it's like if you picture Heavenly Father saying, uh, Megan, I don't have time for you right now. Right. Once you switch that perspective, that's what changed the game for me. Because it was like, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Because I started seeing things differently. Now, now wait, did you accept the calling or not accept the calling? I didn't accept the calling because right, I said, flat out was like, but it was out of pride. Right, right. So because I was yes, yes, because you wanted to, you wanted to be back in the temple, and uh, instead you're asked to serve in the library. So when did it start to change for you? When did the conversion process? And I, by the way, I love that we're talking about your conversion story, even though you've been a member of the church your entire life, because. Each of us has a conversion story, whether we were born yeah. in the covenant or not. Each of us should have a conversion story. So when did you start becoming converted again? Okay, so here's where it gets very beautiful. I think it's a very sacred conversion story for me. So I've had a lot of trauma in my life. I've had to go through a lot of experiences. The point where I really came to know the atonement in a personal, sanctifying, beautiful experience was 
when I was diagnosed with cancer, which was a year and a half ago, right? Almost two years. I came to know Christ in a very beautiful way. So when things started to change, I got really tired, okay? So here I am dealing with cancer. Here I am dealing with mental health issues and being autistic, trying to teach people how to work with me because it's not easy to explain to people how I work and how autism works and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I have never felt a great sense of loneliness until about a year and a half ago. And that is when I had several deaths occur. Um, I was physically assaulted by a guy that I was dating. Um, I screwed up my finances and I had my old college professor slash program director try to help me figure out my finances. And I hit rock bottom when I heard the words, you've got cancer. And my mind went directly to, where am I going at this point? Do I want to be miserable the rest of my life? Because up until this point, people will tell you, I've never been like, the happy-go-lucky person. People will tell you that I was always in crisis mode because of my mental illness. I found Christ when I created what's called the kindness factor. And when I created what's called the kindness factor is, remember the primary song, Kindness Begins With Me? Yes. Okay. So my bishop gave the ward a challenge to pray for charity. And I, I was really struggling because I was like, I really don't want to have any more stuff to have to pray for. Here yeah. I am struggling with my faith, still hurt. And I remember getting on my knees one night, praying to Heavenly Father. And I'm like, I want to come back to your church. I want to give up everything that I've done and everything that I did to come to know you better. And so the wheels start turning and I create the kindness factor. Well, I also, if you remember Emily Freeman's talk, she talks about having a consecrated relationship with your Heavenly Father. I developed my own consecrated relationship with Heavenly Father. I went to him and I said, I'm not going to counsel you because I've been told in the scriptures not to counsel you. Right. But I am going to say what I feel. And I go, Heavenly Father, 
this sucks. I'm estranged from my family. I'm not making the money I need to meet my means. I'm not paying my tithing. I'm not going to church. And I just saw this spiral of bad choices. So I said, Heavenly Father, help me come up with a plan to get back on track. Because I want to go back to the temple. So if my health goes a different direction than what it's supposed to, that I can live with my family in a resurrected form because it sucks being estranged from your family. And I was like, whatever it takes, whatever needs to happen, let's do it. And as I started working on praying regularly, reading the scriptures, um, studying conference talks back from 1953, <laughs> watching BYU devotionals, I was doing more of that. And I took myself out of watching Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and I focused on my relationship with Christ and I would get up in the morning and I would run to the temple and I would walk around the temple and find myself in moments of stillness and being like okay my goal my goal from where I stand on the 50 yard line is I'm going to make the pass that's going to give me a touchdown and I'm going to find myself back at the temple and I'm going to be surrounded by friends who are going to celebrate that I've come back as a prodigal daughter running into the arms of Christ. And when I started to do this kindness factor, so I have paid for people's groceries. Like I'll get gift cards, pay for their groceries. Or I'll go to Fizz and buy a drink for the people behind me. Or I will hold the door open, or I will smile, or I will listen to some sisters that are in my neighborhood just talk because they're lonely. Or I will help my boss out when he asks, or I will find some way to spend some time out in the community and give back in gratitude what my Heavenly Father has given me. Because I can't tell you how much it has affected me to know that I have cancer. Because I went through the grieving process. It is not one that I... I hate grief. I don't like to feel sad. But I also know is that Cancer gives you a new thought process. It gives you a thought process of, I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let Jesus take the wheel. And so I actually have a shirt. I'm not wearing it tonight. But it says, Jesus is my greatest influencer. Um, it drives people nuts when I wear it. But I'm um, <laughs> I love Jesus.
Um, so it's been an interesting experience as I've developed the kindness factor and writing my book on my experience with doing it. Um, it has brought me so much closer to my Heavenly Father, knowing that I have overcome abuse. I have overcome a dysfunctional family environment. I have overcome false judgment by ward members, stake members, communities, and teachers. I have overcome mental illness because I chose to make the atonement personal. When the atonement becomes personal, that's a game changer because the atonement just doesn't become a word. It becomes something more meaningful. That's why President Nelson encouraged us to find joy in daily repentance. So I have had the experience of being on church discipline. And I remember just feeling so distraught because I would see ward members and really society groups go to the temple and I couldn't be there. I have faced the loneliness in my ward where it's hard to go because being a mid single in the church, it's not for the spiritually, like, you have to have guts to be a mid single and in the church because you have people focusing on the youth and the young adults and the kids. And then it feels like the rest of us get pushed into the old folks' home. Mm. No offense to the elderly. But it's like, we're an afterthought. These guys have to. But what I've seen is that the real focus should be, yes, deep detail on children and youth. But the greatest detail is on everyone. Making sure, as I don't know if you remember that President Hinckley once said, new or returning members to church need a calling, a friend, and something else I can't remember. But, and it's been hard coming back because it's like, I don't have a calling because I'm still hurt. And maybe the Lord's waiting for me to ask for forgiveness for holding that hurt. I have friends. I have an amazing early society president who, who, from the day I moved into the ward, she has done nothing but been very loving to me when I tend to isolate because of my autism mm -hmm. or when she knows I need a friend with all those deaths. She definitely was there. And with my ministering couple, they're getting there. Like all ministers, they're not perfect. And the thing about church culture is we need to let go of the perfectionism and realize that we're all broken and that we all need Jesus and we all need each other. And we all need to step it up and love each other and help each other out, not make people feel like they're singled out 
Yeah. Because they're different or they live outside the word boundary or sure. Whatever. Megan, you've talked a lot about uh returning to the temple. Where are you in your journey there? So right now the bishop wants to see um a good chunk of time where I'm going to church consistently and attending um, being on church discipline for not paying tithing and all that. I started paying my tithing. So all it is is church attendance and going back and making an effort in both hours to attend. Yeah. Do you think about what it will feel like that first time that you go back to the temple? I know heaven will be cheering me on. As I well know as there's going to be a, huh? I was going to say as as well as quite a few on earth. Yeah, um, there's a lot of people who are looking forward to me coming back. But I think the most important person that is going to be the most excited is, is me. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, I love um I love that you said that it's a choice and that that when you when you make the atonement personal you have chosen to apply the atonement to your life and that everything from that point you didn't say this I'm saying this now everything from that point is a step forward even if that path goes through church discipline that's still a step forward so because- here's something that I've learned in the process about the atonement. So remember the talk in general conference by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, mm-hmm. right? Where he talks about the three-legged stool, okay. faith, hope, and charity, with that scripture in Moroni 7, 48, faith, hope, and charity. Faith creates a higher level of trust, Right? Hope is a high expectation. Charity is a higher level of love. Charity is grace. Grace is the atonement. Hmm. So what do you say to someone, as we're wrapping up here, what do you say to someone who is where you were three, four, five years ago, where they they are still in that saddle? And they're they're struggling. They're they're trying to figure out. Hey, look, I don't know if this church is for me anymore. I don't know why I'm doing this. So, what I would say to those who are in that saddle is the only way through a faith crisis is to follow and do as James directs. If you lack, if you lack wisdom. Ask God, he's there. He is there with every tear that you cry and every joyous moment that you have in your life. If you have trouble with the atonement, go to your church leaders. And if you're scared of approaching your church leaders, don't be. Realize that they're not perfect. And sometimes if they come across different, and they have a different point of view of how you should handle things. 
pray and ask God for guidance because all along I've been praying for a friend to go to church, like to sit by or, you know, just to be around. And the name, like, Heavenly Father keeps popping a name into my mind. But anxiety can be overcome if we exercise faith in the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, and bring the power of the doctrine of Christ into our lives. Because without the doctrine of Christ, there's no need for an atonement. Because the doctrine of Christ... In 2 Nephi 31.20, it talks about the doctrine of Christ. But we can't do all of this on our own. And looking back at people who are probably in that saddle right now, think about that decision you're about to make. Think about that decision that you're going to make about leaving the church. Think about all of the questions it's going to bring. Every doubt that's going to fly in your mind. Every tear you're going to cry. If you have issues and if you want to leave the church because, you know, your church leader said something and you're uncomfortable about it, talk with them. Work it out. Because the minute that you retreat into yourself and you follow the spirit of fear, you will make the wrong course harder for you and easier in a way that you leave. And it's harder coming back because once you leave, a lot of members don't know that are choosing to leave right now, that if you choose to come back, you have to have a membership council. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's not a, uh, I don't know that that's a blanket statement for everyone, but, uh, you know, certainly um, each of us follow our own journey back and, it can be a difficult hill to climb for sure. For sure. I, I, I so appreciate you sharing your experience and really just the strength that you have. I, I hope that you recognize that, Megan. The amazing strength that you have of just being anchored to your Savior and and. I mean, sticking with your football metaphor of just climbing one yard at a time, one down at a time towards the end zone. And it is going to be such a fantastic day for you and for many people on both sides of the veil when your bishop signs that temple recommend and that you're able to to return and, and renew those covenants that you've made. What a fantastic blessing that's going to be. 